0: So we're going to read together Matthew 5, 1 to 26. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. To tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. Blair MacDonald is coming to speak this morning. I'm going to pray for Blair and then hand over to him. You join me in praying. God we thank you for Blair and we thank you for his love for you and we thank you most of all that your grace and salvation broke into his life many years ago and that has been transforming him by the power of your spirit at work within him and now we ask you to clothe him with an anointing to speak to us this morning, that this would be a living word both in him and through his words to us. For your honour and glory we pray.
1: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Right, I'm not going to tip my timer just yet, Wayne, because I've got to get all prepped. I've got stripped 20 minutes, so uh, if um, halfway through we need to land, we're probably not going to land, or will just turn the engines off and we'll just crash probably. But... Um, We'll get it all sorted out. Sorry about this. I've got stuff going everywhere. So there have been entire books written about the Sermon on the Mount, and I've got 20 minutes to do a, uh, a very short summary. But uh, good grief, what's going on? Electronic devices. Okay. Is this working? Yes, it is working. Good. Start. I've hit start. Okay. Welcome So, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're running through um, running through the first chapter, chapter five, and I'm just going to going to line by line. I'm just really going to run through line by line and just going to talk about it um, and see what we, we get out of it. So initially, who was Jesus talking to uh, when he s- sat down with his disciples? It says that he'd been in chapter four of, uh, of the book of Matthew. There was great multitudes following him. And so uh, from all over the place Galilee Decapolis Jerusalem Judea from beyond the Jordan uh and I suppose that speaks of the spiritual hunger that was available around at the time uh, of when Jesus was there it also speaks i believe of the effective ministry of John the Baptist because he was the one going forward and saying you know behold a, a voice crying in the desert prepare the way of the lord so there were many people who were expecting the messiah and expecting uh someone of Jesus's stature and there was there was great multitudes were following Jesus Um, So Jesus sat down and he taught his disciples. So what is a disciple? A disciple means learner or pupil. And also note that the 12 apostles hadn't been called by that point in time. So Jesus hadn't actually separated out the 12. Um, He'd just been calling to disciples. And so I'm of the opinion that the disciples or the people who Jesus would have been speaking to the sermon to, and it's so important to keep it in your mind, uh, are the people that Jesus had invited to come follow me. And that was a, a... Something Most rabbis were very selective about who they asked to follow them because that group of people would then be responsible for carrying on their teachings after they'd gone. So they were looking for the brightest and best people, usually rabbis, the most educated, the the ones who who knew the law the best. But Jesus comes uh, and does a a very different tactic. Uh, He, I believe he's very liberal or very generous about who he called. He said, oh, you're following me. Hey, come follow me. You can be my disciple too. So I'd suspect that uh in a yeah, there was a whole range of people. Uh people who've been recently healed. There was obviously the, um James and John, uh and Simon and Andrew, or Simon later be called Peter, and they were rough and ready fishermen and, and basically Jesus extended an offer to them, Come follow me, they dumped everything, left their nets, and followed him straight away because it's very prestigious to actually be a disciple of a rabbi and have a have a rabbi call you and say come follow me. It was a, a very prestigious thing in those times. So I suspect that you know the disciples we've got a bunch of fishermen we've probably got some farmers, some peasants, simple folk. We've also got people who have been recently healed, sick, you know, people who were previously sick and afflicted, maybe had demons and other things going on for them. They've been healed. And so they're the ones who are sitting there listening to Jesus talk about um what we're going to go through over the next several weeks. I don't believe these disciples would have had a lot of political or social influence. They probably weren't rich. Likely, they were educated, but not highly educated. Um, you know, I don't think they would necessarily have been <clears throat> successful. Uh, most of the successful people would have been down in the uh, um, down in Jerusalem. So yeah, so that's I just sort of wanted to wanted to place uh, sort of place a bit of context. So as and yet Jesus invited all of these ones to follow him. Because in the kingdom of heaven, it's not who you are that counts, but it's whose you are that counts. Come on, I, I underlined that bit for myself. I thought that was pretty good. Right. Now, I've made a grave error. I've actually, um, we're counting down uh, from 40 minutes. Wayne, I'm sorry. So I'm just, <laughs> you're just going to have to give me a nod. <laughs> My clock's stuffed up. Right. The Beatitudes. Okay. So open, obviously your Bibles are hopefully open. So the the Sermon on the Mount is is very well structured. It begins with the Beatitudes, and most likely in your Bible you've got headings where the the writers of your Bible have actually put headings in to differentiate the different sort of sections within the Sermon on the Mount. So we're starting with the the Beatitudes, which is the beautiful attitudes. Um, Jesus begins by laying out to his disciples his interpretation of what it means to be blessed. It was a a common thing uh, for rabbis in Jesus' time. For this is what I've, I've told um, was the case. Uh, so that they would give a, a list of things which this, where they would give a list of things which would say, "This is what it means to be blessed." So the rabbis would say, "This is what I considered being blessed looks like." It's going to be boom, 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 and their disciples and those listening would go, "Oh, okay. Well, that's how I evaluate my life. Am I blessed or am I not?" And so Jesus does does a similar thing, um, and so. That's what he gets first into with the Beatitudes. It's worthwhile reading, um, and we're going to be running through today. We're going to be looking at the Beatitudes, uh, and I do have a whole bunch of other stuff if we ever get to it, but I don't think we will. Um, We're looking at the Beatitudes from the Amplified Bible. I thought the the, the authors of the Amplified Bible did a fantastic job, a really great job of digging in and, and pulling out what is fairly brief summaries and actually expanding it. Uh, Wayne was mentioning earlier about reading in different, um, reading the, the Sermon on the Mounts using different versions. And so what the Amplified Bible does, it takes a word, and you know, I'll use it up there, so blessed. So you see blessed, and what they've done is they've expanded that out, giving their interpretation of what that means. It just sort of adds a lot more context to our English way of reading, rather than just one word, there's, there's sort of an expanded one. So I thought, yeah, it's great, let's, let's actually use that. So let's start. Verse 3, blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. So the poor in spirit are blessed or another way of putting it, if you're spiritually poor, you're blessed. And so and the the writers here are suggesting that being poor in spirit means being devoid of spiritual arrogance or having a, a regard for themselves as significant. It's interesting in, in Luke chapter eighteen, verse thirteen, Jesus tells the parable contrasting two men. There's the religious man, the Pharisee, who boasted of his spirituality, contrasted with the sinner. Who was a tax collector who knew he was spiritually poor and he cried out for mercy. I don't know if you're familiar with that parable. Uh, by all means, go and have a look at it. Um, but I'll just read it, the last, the last, um, bit. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself Will be exalted. And I believe that's you know the type of person who Jesus had in mind when he said poor in spirit. It's the person who identifies their, their spiritual lack and ultimately falls at the feet of Jesus. So being aware of your spiritual poverty and cry out and to cry out for mercy to God, trusting in the complete and finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation, will result in you inheriting the kingdom of God. Thus you are blessed. Okay. Next one. So blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace. And notice that each time the, the writers have Amplified, they use a different interpretation of what it means to be blessed. They've really done a great job. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Now, we typically associate a mourning with sin. So I, look, sorry, we typically associate mourning with death. That's when you're usually mourning. <clears throat> so Jesus obviously isn't wanting us to go along to funerals and slapping people on the back and saying, look, you're blessed, congratulations, You've, someone you love died. That's, that's not what he's, he's getting at with regards to mourning. Um, it's, most people believe that to mourn in this context relates to sadness over our spiritual condition, a sadness over our sins. And so when we're sad about our sins, this ultimately leads us to repentance to a changing of our minds, at which point we will be comforted when the burden of our sin is lifted, and only Jesus can lift that burden off us. Um, that's what we, we all know. Moving on, verse 5. Verse 5, oh, not, there we go. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect, are the gentle or meek, uh, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meek and gentle, or meek and words gentle, uh, sort of the word gentle there is actually sometimes interpreted meek, uh, is not a commonly used word in our, in our language day to day. So usually these words have a negative connotation, usually. So if you're meek, it usually equals weak. That's the, uh, usually the mindset. But uh gentle to be gentle and meek, it means, you know, the the sort of the authors there are saying it's kind hearted, sweet spirited, and self-control. And they're all attributes that you know we want for ourselves. Um I've also heard meekness being described as power under control. So Jesus was described as meek, yet he certainly wasn't weak. He had all the power of God at his disposal. 50 legions or however many legions of angels at his disposal. Also, he wasn't physically weak either. I don't know if you guys have considered just the, the brutal beating he took uh, at, the, at the cross. I mean, the, it was un, not uncommon for people to die through Roman scourging. Yet not only did he, he do that, he actually got up, carried his cross, and he, he went uh, and, and hung there. So just the, the actual physical strength of Jesus, I think, is underestimated, in my opinion. So get to the gym, folks. (laughs) So where do you look here? So Jesus was meek, kind-hearted, spirit and self-controlled, yet he wasn't weak. Six. Yes. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. So here, righteousness is described as right standing with God. It's... It's a state of being. It's, it's, righteousness is a noun. It's, uh, just, I, I've used that for myself to try to get me to remember that it's a state of who you are. You are righteous. Now, here's the question. How do I get this righteousness and this right standing with God? Uh, what, uh, let's explore this a bit further. What color is my hair? And you are allowed to say gray, but uh, there are bits of gray in it. But my hair is brown. Uh, I haven't used hair coloring products. My hair is brown because I was born that way. I was born with brown hair, and having a brown hair is a fact about me, In the same way, when you're born again into the kingdom of God, you are born righteous. You are born into righteousness. You are born into right standing with God. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 2:21, uh, "For the sake, for the sake sorry. For our sake, God made God the Father made God the Son, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, that's in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Also in Romans 5.17, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. So righteousness is a gift that we receive from God. Righteousness can't be earned. All the works that I do in my life will never earn me righteousness. If you're you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus and you're thinking, I'm a good person, those good deeds will not allow you or will not make you righteous. Uh, uh, God won't attribute righteousness to you because of what you've done. So there's only a couple of ways that can stop you from receiving a free gift. One is you simply don't want it and you say, no thanks, I, I won't have your free gift. And the other is when you try to earn it. You can't earn a gift. And yeah, it's the same way, I believe, with the free gift of righteousness of God. So a lot of people reject Jesus. They reject God, God's righteousness. Uh, I'll just keep living in my own way, thanks. But then there's other people out there who say, well, I want God's righteousness, but I'll clean myself up first. I'm going to get my life in order. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm, uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be good uh, and I'll get there. That's impossible to do, firstly, but also you don't clean yourself before having a shower. You get into the shower to clean yourself, and Jesus is the shower that cleans us. So if you're sitting here today, and if you are feeling a bit hungry and thirsty for some righteousness, some right standing with God, I encourage you to receive it as a free gift from Jesus. So Jesus is our righteousness. Uh, so, you might even say that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus, for they will be completely satisfied okay next verse seven i shouldn 't have to keep turning around, but i 'm a bit sus as to whether that 's working or not right blessed, content, sheltered by God. how are we going how are we going are <laughs> oh, the merciful for they will receive mercy I need Mercy for time, sheltered by God's promise. I I really like that, blessed, content, sheltered by God's promises. I think that's an awesome description of being blessed. So what is mercy? You might be going myself, I, I don't know, you might have some sort of a concept of what it is. I've heard of it described as not getting what we deserve. Grace is freely getting something that we don't deserve, but mercy is not getting the consequences that we do deserve. So that's how I how I view view mercy. Uh, am I merciful? I am some of the time, but often I'm not. I'm not. But I do know that Jesus is constantly merciful, and this passage reminds me of the scripture in Hebrews four sixteen, which says, "Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." When we believe in Jesus the Messiah as our only means of becoming right with God or becoming righteous, we have free and open access to the throne of grace to receive his mercy and his grace when we need it. And when do we typically need grace or and mercy? When do we need mercy? It's usually when we've stuffed up, when we've missed the mark, when we've sinned. And it's that whole concept of running towards God. And it took me a long time in my Christian walk to actually get to that place of being able to run towards God in the uh, after I've you know, stuffed up and sinned, uh, rather than running away, self-flagellating, beating myself up, making myself feel like I was I had I punished myself enough, and then I'll go get some forgiveness. So that's how I used to walk, uh, live my life, and it's very unhelpful and not a not a fun way to live. So a good prayer to pray is Jesus. Thank you for your mercy towards me, just as you 've been merciful to me when i 've stuffed up. Help me to be merciful to others when they do it too and we'll touch a bit more on that in uh, in the lord 's prayer in, in coming weeks i 'm sure right verse eight blessed anticipating god 's present spiritually mature are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character for they will see God God so how 's your heart purity Um... I have, I have good days and bad days. The writers here describe being pure in heart as integrity, moral courage, and godly character. And when I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, well, I hit some of those some of the time. Uh, well done, Blair. And then I slapped myself and woke up because I'm so far off the level of heart purity that Jesus is referring to here. Uh, but I can tell you that I'm good mates with a guy who is completely pure in heart. And he lets me borrow his purity whenever I need it. And so I'd encourage you to, to do the same. A good prayer to be, pray would be, Jesus, you are the only one who is truly pure in heart. Form a heart of purity into me, please. Right. Blessed, spiritually calm, with life joy in God's favor, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character and be called the sons of God. So the Greek word translated peacemaker here is only used at one other place in the New Testament. Uh, it's talking about um, it was a father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace. That's that same word, peacemaker, peace through the blood of his cross. So Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. He makes peace between us and God. He makes peace between the warring factions in our, in our own heart and internally. We have all these wars going on inside of us. Um, And so he makes peace in that. And he also, the outflow of that peace then becomes peace between us and others around us. And one day in the future, he will come to the earth to bring worldwide peace. So that's going to be a reality. But in the meantime, we're called to go out into the world making peace. We're, We're called to let that internal peace of God within us flow out to those who are around us. Right. Blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love. Are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. It's interesting that that word, uh, righteousness, where it says in brackets righteousness' sake, that's the same word that was earlier just interpreted as righteous, rights, thanks, uh, in right, in right standing with God. So, but here it's been translated as doing what is morally right. So some people suffer for doing evil. And that is punishment, not persecution. And some are persecuted for reasons unrelated to righteousness. But Jesus wasn't offering a general blessing to all victims of persecution for any cause here. No, he was offering it to those who are persecuted for being in the kingdom of righteousness because of their faith in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Peter puts it uh, another way. He says, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. As I noted previously, righteousness is a state of being. It's a gift we receive, but as we receive the gift of righteousness, we will also receive an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven, which manifests itself both now and eternally. Both The kingdom of heaven is now and also eternally. Uh, we, We get the benefits of it in this age. I think of love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, gentleness, self-control, these internal benefits that we receive, or these, you know, having peace in our spirit and peace in our hearts is just amazing as a benefit. Um, there's so many people out there who would give millions and millions of dollars just to have peace in their spirit. Uh, yet we receive it freely from Jesus. It's amazing. So we do have an inheritance now, but there also is an inheritance to come as well. All right. I'm, I think I'm coming into land. Blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive with life joy in God's goodness are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of your association with me. Be glad and exceedingly joyful, for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible, for in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you know, when persecution comes, we find out quite quickly where we stand with God. We get to test what do I believe? who am I and those uh, there 's thousands, probably millions of Christians worldwide who are actively being persecuted for their faith right now and uh, who are at extreme risk of being killed imprisoned for their beliefs here in australia we don 't have those conditions. Praise the Lord, I thank you for that, but uh, there are other persecutions that you may face in your workplace or in your family because of your belief in Jesus and we read that uh, one one which, uh, passage of Scripture I want to read is uh, Acts chapter five, when the Sanhedrin's the apostles were before the Sanhedrin's, and it says that they, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor in His name. So Jesus had already said, "You're going to be suffering persecution. Uh, you're going to be," and now they were experience and I, experiencing it. I believe in the situations like this there is the supernatural power for that flows into a person from the holy spirit it's it's not normal to to celebrate after being beaten i mean that's masochism and masochism is someone who enjoys pain and derives pleasure from being punished uh, but so it's the Holy Spirit must have been working in them to say, and they were, they were remembering the words that Jesus had said to them, and then they were seeing, well, this is the fulfillment of it, and they were being filled with joy and rejoicing. And so the Holy Spirit is there to help us when we're going through persecution. It's not a, I'll, I'll gut through it on myself, by myself. The Holy Spirit's there to, to walking with you in the midst of persecution, whether that's in uh, situations you're having with your family or in your workplace and your, and your other circumstances that you have. Um, he's there to teach you all things. He's there to bring to your remembrance everything that Jesus has said to you. Uh, and so I believe that's the Holy Spirit flowing out of us in those times. And a, it a, becomes a great gift in that instance because we really feel the presence of God and we actually really experience his closeness and his nearness in the midst of persecution. So if you're suffering persecution for your faith in any form, I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to release his joy and gladness into your heart to help you endure the persecution well. Click, I'll turn the engines off now, and we will gracefully crash. (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: Bless you. Bless you, Blair. Well, we've all got some homework, haven't we? We need to go home and do some research on the rest of the passage that we read earlier from Matthew 5, Blair's given us a great overview of the Beatitudes and uh, so we, were, we can go with that and go home in terms of uh, the work that we need to do. It, it's interesting, isn't it, thinking about that opening statement about how there was a, a typical rabbinical strategy when a rabbi was introducing himself that he would, he would teach what he believed was the blessings Remember, Blair said that at the beginning, didn't he? He said this is a fairly uh, consistent rabbinical teaching tool. But here, we have got God, not just a rabbi, right? We've got God. We've got Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, saying, you want to know what God blesses? Here you go. So therefore, we can all get on, we can all, okay, I need to align my life with what God's, God's blessing and there's a difference isn't it because you and I we often will go God bless you know I'm going to go do this and God I want you to bless it or I'm asking for your blessing here but better that we start where Jesus started and and say well first of all let's align my heart I want to align what you've already said you're blessing God because if I align my life with what you're already blessing, I've got your blessing. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. The team is going to come up and lead us in a closing, joyful... There was lots of blessed, blessed joyful... Was there some of those other words? There was lots of words in the, in the amplified version. And if you, if you don't have an amplified version you can find one in the U version Bible app and I'm sure it's available in other places and it is, it's a useful uh, translation to read because of the way that they bring out the different nuances in those words alright, thanks Grosha. everybody just take a moment in, to pray for yourself and in in, in to say God I surrender my life to you and I want your blessing so first of all I ask you to help me to align my life to align my heart my thoughts the words of my mouth and my behaviour with what you have already said your blessing speak that out to God right now just begin to say that to him say God I I want your blessing so help me Holy Spirit in the Psalms there's a Psalm with a phrase that says incline my heart to you, God, and not to selfish gain. And you can say that because it's the truth. We all need help. So we say, God, help incline my heart, cause my heart to lean in your direction rather than towards selfish gain. We thank you, Jesus, for the reminder that you invite us to be your disciples. We have a, there's a dignity that you give to us because the invitation comes from you it's not anything we earned or deserved it's your initiative and we simply say yes to that to be your disciples and we keep saying yes day after day after day yes yes to you Jesus so even as we sing now help us Holy Spirit to worship
1: in spirit and truth as we close our time together this morning.